On the spiritual front, I can think of a number of people, particularly just recently, I've been thinking of a gentleman called Stephen Anderson. Some of you, some of you older in the church might remember his name. He was the Church of Scotland evangelist um, for the whole of Scotland, but was particularly based in Aviemore. And I had the privilege over a number of years of going in summer mission or being in summer mission with him. He had a beautiful house, a house that had been built by an Austrian musician way up in the hills outside of Aviemore. And we would go there and that house and that home was open to the team. And we, entered, we went into his home and we were really cared for as part of the family. And we were involved in various outreach activities in Aviemore and the surrounding areas. And every morning we would gather for Bible study and prayer. And as he sat there and shared very simply, but very profoundly God's word, then God used him to speak into my life. I still remember a series of studies he did in the book of Zechariah. I've never been brave enough or bold enough to do that myself, but he shared a whole series of studies in the book of Zechariah that inspired me and spoke to me. That home was a home of blessing. And eventually when Stephen retired, it was gifted to scripture union and remains a place where God is met, where God is encountered and where lives are changed. Because you see, my friends, at the heart of the Christian faith is just that, the reality of God, who God is in Jesus Christ, the God that has been revealed to us through his word, our Father who is in heaven. But it's also at the very heart of Christianity, a story of transformation, a story of lives being encountered, of people meeting with the living God and not being the same after that encounter, making an impact on lives. The readings that Helen read and shared with us earlier in the service tell us of that. It tells us of two encounters as Jesus journeyed to Jerusalem. It tells us of an encounter with the blind beggar, but it also tells us of the encounter with Zacchaeus, the tax collector. But that encounter, those encounters, as Jesus goes to Jerusalem, itself speak of what Jesus was about. We read, and Helen started our reading with this reading. Jesus took the twelve aside and said to them, We're going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him, and on the third day he will rise again. The disciples were told didn't understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. Indeed, Luke goes on to tell us that all these things that Jesus said only began to make sense in the light of Holy Week, of Good Friday, and of Easter Sunday, those dramatic encounters that they had with the risen Christ after his death and resurrection. But that journey of Jesus, where he met people on the way up to Jerusalem was really the anthem that proclaimed and set the scene for all that was to take place during that dramatic week in the life of our Lord and in the life of our world. Why was Jesus going to Jerusalem? Well, as I say, Luke tells us he was going because he knew what was going to happen to him. There are those, of course, who would say that if Jesus was somehow forced into the cross, forced into going to Jerusalem, forced into what happened to him when he was there. He was somehow an innocent victim of the shenanigans of evil men. Now, certainly he was a victim of the shenanigans of, ev of evil men, and he is innocent. They could find no sin against him. They had to pay for people and bribe people in order to say things against him. But he wasn't an unwilling victim. 
He wasn't somebody who was dragged along by the course of events that were greater than himself. Jesus willingly went to the cross. Jesus willingly went to Jerusalem. And he makes this clear. That indeed, Luke tells us that this is the third time that he tells these things to the disciples. He is making it clear that what's happening to him is not an accident of history, but is indeed the fulfillment of history, the fulfillment of what the prophets said, of what the prophets had said would be fulfilled in the Son of Man. And why did he do it? Well, at the very end of our reading, we're told this after speaking about salvation coming to the house of Zacchaeus, Jesus says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You see the counterpart? He goes on the road to Jerusalem in order that he might fulfill the Father's will, but order that he might encounter and save those who are lost. At the very heart of the gospel is the work of God in encountering lost men and women. And that encounter, that journey, that cost that was to be paid for by Jesus is worked out in the events that lie before us, not just this Sunday, but over the coming weeks. We, I'm sure, often find spending time with people tiring. It can draw from us and demand of us our attention. It can be costly. So Jesus's encounter with us is costly not in his time and attention, but what it meant for him. He gave his life as a ransom for many. The Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. I must go to Jerusalem. John, in his gospel, makes it clear that Jesus is very plain about the fact that his desire above everything else was to do his father's will. That was the the thing that sustained him. That was the purpose of why he came. That was the overriding responsibility and duty that was laid upon him, that I must do these things in order to bring glory to my father, in order to save those who are lost. And so his meeting with us, his dealing with us, his inviting us to come to know him, his involvement of himself in our lives and in the situations we face, all of that is costly. There's no such thing as cheap grace. Jesus gives himself to a fallen humanity. He gives himself to us as we listen this morning, as we hear his word, as he meets with us by the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit takes from Jesus and makes it known to us, it's good for us to remember that it's at a cost. A price was paid. A journey was undertaken. A life was given. But the blessing of those encounters, the blessing of meeting with that Jesus, is seen in this story. We're told that as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Just take note there that the crowd, the crowd who are going to welcome Jesus into Jerusalem, the people who were going about following Jesus, the wider group of people, not the immediate disciples, but the wider company of people who just followed him on the bandwagon that was Jesus. Notice how their understanding of Jesus is is not that he is the son of man, not that he's the son of David, not that he's the son of God, but he's 
of Nazareth. He's a rabbi. He's a teacher. He's a miracle worker. He's somebody worth following. He says things that are interesting, even if you don't really understand what they fully mean. And we saw over a couple of weeks ago how challenging some of the parables of Jesus really are. And it does, they're not easy necessarily to take on board and to follow through. But still, he interests us and we're willing to be a part of his company for the moment. We're going to see, of course, and we know well that the events of Holy Week suggest that these fickle followers soon turn against him and call not for him to be proclaimed as king, but for his death. Jesus of Nazareth, the blind man, knows who he really is, son of David. He uses a messianic phrase. He uses something drawn from what the prophets and the Old Testament tell us, that here is the one promised to King David that there would be a greater son who would sit on the throne, and who would sit on the throne eternally, not in a capital city of Jerusalem, not in a palace, not in a chair, not ruling with an army or forces like that, but here is David's greater son, the fulfillment of Israel's longing, Israel's consolation. The blind man may be physically blind, but he has an insight as to who Jesus is, and he recognizes, and notice again what he says, he says, have mercy on me. And I think the gospel writers, and interesting, all the gospel writers tell us of blind people who receive their sight. They're not only telling us of somebody physically blind who received their physical sight. These stories, these miracles, this transformation, this encounter of the Jesus who's willing to be costly in his giving of himself is to tell us that we, all of us, are lost. All of us are spiritually blind. All of us need to be given spiritual sight. We need that insight, again, the insight that the Holy Spirit alone can bring. And notice what goes on to say, those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on us. Here is some mercy on me. Here is someone who's desperate to meet with Jesus. He knows that only in an encounter with Jesus, the Jesus who's journeying to Jerusalem, only such an encounter with Jesus will have a radical impact on his life. How desperate are we for God? How desperate are we to come before him and to seek his mercy? Or in truth, do we always think they were doing God a favour by turning up at church, or, or by listening to sermons, or by perhaps occasionally reading the Bible. It's part of our life. It's part of the package of who we are. But the note of desperation, doesn't that sound a bit extreme? A bit out there? Really a bit beyond what you know we feel comfortable with? Well, it might sound like that. It might even appear to those who are not believers and those who are going about happily living their daily lives, it might appear like that. But for the person who knows the work of grace in our life, surely there's that yearning, that longing for more, more about Jesus. Would I know more of his saving grace to show? Here is someone who's desperate to be met with God and to know God meeting with him. Jesus stops. Jesus who's willing to make the effort to take time to stop and to listen. 
And Jesus asks the man, what do you want me to do for you? And the man says, Lord, I want to see. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. And when all the people saw it, they also praised God. Jesus asking us a question. Again, the gospel writers make that clear. Remember the man who was born lame and Jesus actually said, do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made whole? You see, there's something comfortable with the way we're used to things, isn't there? We feel safe in, even in our failings and our shortcomings and in our struggles. There's something safe with the person that we know we are. But Jesus' encounters shatters that safety. It goes through that security. It wakens us up to a far bigger story and a far bigger picture. And Jesus invites us to come to him and to say, what do we really need? And we all, above everything else, need to see him. We need to have the eyes of our hearts opened. We need our mind to be filled with the glory of who Jesus is. I, we, all of us, need to see to see our own plight and to see the one who can meet us in our needful condition. The truth is, when we came back from holiday, I wanted to be sure that I had COVID, not because I wanted to have COVID, but obviously because I knew it was going to involve having to make a lot of changes to the arrangements for today. And so I did a lateral flow test. I have done them before, many times. I actually had a cold and a bit of a cough about six weeks ago, five, six weeks ago, and I tested myself then. And I saw the thing, and it was clear. There was no sign of it. However, this time, I can assure you, as soon as I put the little drops into the lateral flow test thing, plastic thing, and it began to you know, go up, you know, I'm sure we've all done it. We all know what happens. Very, very quickly and very, very clearly, I could see the line at T, meaning, unfortunately, I had COVID, but I needed to see the evidence so that I was convinced that, yes, it wasn't just a cold that I'd picked up, but it actually was COVID-19. We all need to see the evidence, both of our need and of the one who can meet that need. And the Holy Spirit's job is to do that. And he does do that. But sometimes we don't want to see. Sometimes we'd rather stay blind. Sometimes we'd rather just stay in the darkness of our own self-delusion and spiritual ignorance. Jesus won't have that. If we're going to meet with him, if we want to encounter him, the Jesus who's willing to go to Jerusalem for us and to pay the cost that that journey meant for him, then we have to be willing to have the eyes of our hearts opened and to be confronted with our need. But in doing that, as this story and as did the story of the gospel tell us, there is healing, there is forgiveness, there is a new beginning, there is a fresh life. And this gentleman who's received his sight followed Jesus and praised God, the one that he'd sought after, the one he'd shouted after, the one that he had been so determined to see, to meet with, that he refused to be kept quiet by those who rebuked him and told him to be quiet. He was so desperate, he would do anything to see Jesus. He asked and he received. He sought and he found. He knocked. And the door of your sight was opened to him. This is the Jesus 
who we encounter through the pages of Scripture, by the work of the Holy Spirit, and as we journey into Easter. And then we move on. And the two stories are meant to be together. We move on to Zacchaeus. In many ways, you couldn't have had very any different, more different than Zacchaeus and the blind beggar. The blind beggar was at the bottom of the pile in very many ways, and was was obviously, a, you know, he was a begging. He was he was in great need. Zacchaeus outwardly appeared to have it all sewn up. He was a tax collector. Now we all know the jokes about tax collectors, which are very unfair. They're doing a very important job in our own country today. If there wasn't taxes raised, then we wouldn't have all the social services and the NHS and everything else that we rely upon. So that's really a bit unfair. The point, the reason why he's told and called a tax collector here is that he worked for the Romans. And also, he was a chief tax collector. That meant he was over a number of people and were told that he was wealthy, which meant there was a very lucrative trade. He was making a good business out of getting money out of people in order to pay the Romans the Jews and the financial support that they demanded. And so he was regarded by people as a collaborator, as a traitor, as someone who sold himself out to the opposite side. But Zacchaeus knew deep down that that wasn't enough. The wealth, the prosperity, being cahoots with the Romans, perhaps for a season had satisfied his yearning to be someone, something. But obviously, whatever was going on within this man's life, he knew that he needed more. We're told he was a short man and he couldn't see over the crowd and the crowd weren't going to let him to the front. You can just imagine the dynamics. Folk talk, there's Zacchaeus, so it's not, we're not going to let him get into the front. We're going to keep him at the back. Nobody wants to talk to him. Nobody wants anything to do with him. Indeed, later on, when Jesus goes to have a meal with him, we see the people see this and begin to mutter, he's going to be the guest of sinner. He is categorized as really beyond the pale. If the blind beggar was a poor, needy soul, this man, well, he's you know just lost, completely so and is to be despised. And yet, the one who became despised and rejected for us is the one who calls him to come down out of that tree. He looks up, Jesus, we're told, and says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And so he came down at once, we're told, and welcomed him gladly. You see, there were things that had been working in Zacchaeus's heart. Dissatisfaction a sense of loneliness, isolation, disillusionment. He would know what people thought about him, but more important perhaps than that, his own conscience would have been troubling him. You see, John tells us the Holy Spirit comes to convict us of our sin, to make us aware of our need, to bring us to that point where, like the blind beggar, we know we need to have sight. We need to meet with Jesus and Zacchaeus, many ways totally different from the blind beggar but yet in other ways completely the same spiritually blind in great need Zacchaeus is willing to throw aside any sense of you know being a person of notable standing and he climbs up that tree this wee guy peers over the crowd and Jesus meets with him he Jesus journeying to Jerusalem 
knows what he's about, not only what's going to happen to him when he gets to Jerusalem, but he knows who he's going to encounter. He knows he's going to meet with the blind beggar. He knows he's going to meet Zacchaeus. And my friends, he knows you and your name and your life and your circumstances. Even the very hairs of your head are counted and numbered. You're going up and you're lying down. You're going out and you're coming in. All of that and so much more is known by Jesus. For who he is, he's the eternal word. He's the one who spoke and brought everything into being. He's the one who David said had formed him in the mother's innermost being and knew him even before he was physically born. Remember King David, Psalm 139? That knowledge, David said, is too wonderful, too wonderful for me, that the one who's the eternal word should know us so well and call us by name. Jesus is the one who does that. Zacchaeus, or whatever your name is, come and meet with me. And we see the difference right away. If the blind beggar sees, literally, physically, and follows Jesus, praising God, so Zacchaeus now sees, sees the folly of the way he was living his life, sees the folly of the things he was putting his commitment and his interest in. He responds by saying, here, now, I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. When God encounters us, the transformation can be dramatic. Our purses, our wallets, our finances are released. A spirit of hospitality is given to us, even when, perhaps, humanly speaking, we wouldn't be very hospitable. I have to remind myself about that, <laughs> even this past week or two offering hospitality and having to face the consequences sometimes that's what god does in our hearts he liberates us he opens our hearts and minds and he wants us to respond as generously as we can to those who are around us that is the challenge as well as encouragement for what happened to zacchaeus <clears throat> and jesus he announces that today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. I have come to seek and to save the lost, the sheep that has wandered, the prodigal that has gone away, the child, the little one, who's regarded as nothing, welcomed in, and to such, Jesus says, belongs the kingdom of heaven. The woman who had the flow of blood that nobody wanted anything to do with because they were ceremoniously unclean, and yet, salvation comes to her healing help hope all of that and so much more is offered in the jesus who journeys to jerusalem and that's the jesus that we meet with not just in public worship but in the quietness of our own hearts and home encounters can be costly they can demand of us our time and attention they can have consequences that perhaps we'd rather not have had. But the Jesus that we follow is the one who went through all of that and did so out of love and mercy and grace shown towards us. We might not be a physically blind beggar. We might not be a tax collector on the make. We might not be someone who's regarded as being beyond the pale or the bottom of the pile, but all of us are lost. All of us 
need to meet with God. All of us need to be saved, saved from our sins, saved from the spiritual blindness that afflicts us, saved from the things that have corrupted our life and eat away at our souls. The blind beggar in the Zacchaeus story tells us of what happens when we allow Jesus to meet with us. A radical new beginning. I was blind, but now I see. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was dead, but now I'm alive. That is the fruit of an encounter with Jesus. And that can happen not only to these people we read about in the gospel stories, but that can happen to you and to me, even this very day. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we thank you for these well-known stories. And yet we thank you that they come to us with fresh meaning and fresh significance. We prayed at the beginning that you would still our hearts, that you would open the eyes of our faith, that we might meet with Jesus. And we thank you that through your word, as these well-known stories have been shared, we've met again with the one who is the Lord of glory but also the suffering servant, the one who was bruised and rejected in order that we, men and women, spiritually blind, spiritually lost, might be found, might be rescued, might be healed, might be restored, might be forgiven. For that good use, we give you thanks, O God, this day. And we pray that even within our own lives, we might well be professing Christians, probably most of us listening to that are, but in our own lives we confess that we too need to seek after you. That hint of desperation, that yearning, that longing that marked out Zacchaeus and the blind beggar, Lord, stir our hearts that we might with eagerness seek the Lord, the one who loved us, the one who journeyed to Jerusalem for us, the one who gave his life as a ransom for us, the one who calls us and knows us by name. Stir our hearts by the Holy Spirit so that as we go into this Easter season, we too may have a life-transforming encounter with Jesus and in a new and in a fresh and a deeper way, we journey on as a disciple of our Lord. And all of that we ask for the glory and honour of Jesus' name. Amen.